You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mino Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. People are just people. People want to be told great stories. They want to be able to relate to others. And we may come from different cultures. We may speak different languages at times. But at the end of the day, we all very much want the same things in life. We all want to be happy. We all want to feel great about ourselves. We all want to learn something new and exciting. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Amadou Dubia, founder of Wooly Grooming. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and your ratings and reviews mean so much to us. All right, everyone. Amadou's international upbringing has been the cornerstone of his beauty brand, Wooly Grooming. Born in Mali and raised in New York City, Amadou has spent the past 13 plus years abroad, seven in China and Hong Kong, and the current six plus in Sydney, Australia. This global perspective fueled his vision for Wooly, launched in 2022 with the mission to create simple, plant-based styling products for curls of all textures from wavy to coily. Amadou saw a gap in the market for products that were effective, easy to use, and free from harsh chemicals and synthetics. He believes that plant-based ingredients are the best deep hydration and moisturization for even the most sensitive hair types. Drawing on his extensive experience in marketing, communications, and branding, Amadou brought Wulu to life with the ambition of becoming one of the most forward-thinking Black-owned hair care brands with a truly global audience. Amadou, 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 (laughs) welcome to Business of the Beat. I am so happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Like, We met at the Beauty Matter Next Summit, and I just remember meeting you and being like, oh my gosh, who is this? And we connected, and you had your products, and it was amazing, and you were there as the 2023 grant recipient. And I was just like, who is this person? I have all my products here, which we're going to talk about. Let's start with the fact that you are just amazing. You've lived in multiple countries you have this fantastic, having met you in person and then seen you on the screen, you have such a fantastic energy and aura. So tell us about Amadou, where you grew up, how you grew up, and bring us up to now. So where do I start? So I was born <laughs> in West Africa. 
And then when I was about three years old, my family emigrated to the U.S. and we grew up in New York City um, for, for, for most of that time. So I call New York City officially home, but I haven't lived in, the, in New York, if not as well as the state for now for over 13 years. So when I was about 24 years old, I migrated to Asia. And I actually ended up living and working in Hong Kong and China for about all about seven years. And it all kind of came about because I was one of the, those millennials that graduated university in 2008 when the, when the global financial crisis was happening. And I just felt like there wasn't too many opportunities coming about. And I really felt that I was destined to do more and to really be driven to do great things. And I just felt that... I needed to see the world a little bit more at that time, get some exposure and get some great experience underneath my belt. And the idea was I was going to spend about three years overseas and then come back home to America and really make a success story. Well, what ended up happening was one opportunity just kept leading into another. And I ended up staying in Asia for about seven years, both in mainland China and also in Hong Kong. And then in 2017... Um, an opportunity at the time when I was working in public relations and communications in hospitality had come about to relocate to Australia. So I ended up moving from Hong Kong to Sydney, Australia, which is where I now currently call home. And I've been here now all up, my goodness, six and a half years going. So it's been all up nearly 13 years plus of me living overseas and still coming back home at least every year, if not every other year. Um, that was one deal I had to make with my mom when I went when I left Asia. She said to me, "You better promise me right now you're going to come back home at least once a year, if not every two years, by hook or crook." I was like, "Yes, mom, I will do that." Professionally, I started out my career as I said in public relations and communications, really having a gift of the gab and really being passionate about telling other people's stories and connecting with brands and connecting various other different groups of people. I have this passion um where whatever i do i've always wanted to be a bridge i've always wanted to be that connector between people of different cultures of different backgrounds of different interests um and i think part of that is because personally i've never really fit into one box i was i mean i'm a, I'm a child of the world is what i like to tell people um growing up in new york i also spent time in japan <laughs> i studied japanese for about eight years all up between high school and university and so i studied abroad in japan when i was in university and I've just always been fascinated by various people from different cultures and trying to connect them together. So started in PR and then moved into marketing roles more so when once I moved over here to Australia because I started realizing that the two disciplines were kind of really blending in together. And that's just what has led me into believing that I had that understanding of people, that understanding of desires, that understanding of pain points and issues, which is then what really helped fuel my passion and interest in starting my own beauty brand. I felt that was one of the greatest mediums to bring that all together. You know, I love that you are so transparent in terms of the beauty of having culturally diverse experiences, right? And I think that we don't talk enough about this notion of I'm going to go and see the world. I'm going to make something of myself. And yes, I'll still be able to come back home. But I also give so much credit and grace to your parents because not all parents want their children to leave. And sometimes parents can be as much a detriment as they can be a supporter. And it's not as though you were like, I'm just going to LA. You're like, oh no. 
I'm going to Hong Kong and I'm going to be there for years and years and years. And there's something really special, even when you think about the power of language and the power of connecting people. And sometimes we get so caught up in our own language that we don't think about the beauty and understanding of learning others. And we see it as like a nuance to why are they not speaking and acting the way that I act. And so I really love how you piece that together. And, And so that's kind of the first thing, like, Being with all of these cultures and seeing and and studying these different languages, what's kind of the one piece that you took away from that experience as you're trying to connect and bridge the gap of culture and interest? One of the biggest things I feel I've learned in all of my times and getting to meet and learn learn from different cultures, I guess, is people are just people. People want to be told great stories. They want to be able to relate to others. And we may come from different cultures. We may speak different languages at times. But at the end of the day, we all very much want the same things in life. We all want to be happy. We all want to feel great about ourselves. We all want to learn something new and exciting. And to some degree, I would say everybody is open to being exposed to new and different things. You know, that point you mentioned about my parents it's really funny. And I think I might be true when I say that like most, like most millennials or most people, when you're in your 20s and your teens, you don't appreciate a lot of these opportunities and a lot of these things that your parents expose you to and how valuable they become to you later on in life. I think back to when I was a child, one of the biggest um, influences in me kind of being interested about the world was my dad. He, it's even to this day, he used to um, always love to read newspapers. And he used to make me, when I was a little kid, go out and buy him three sets of newspapers every day. It was the New York Times, the New York Post, and the Daily News. And his whole thing was about getting a good understanding of what was happening around, around the world with, um, around us. And it exposed me into understanding like what was going on in various parts of the world because he also had a piece of homework for us. So every day you had to read at least one article, find something you had of interest, and then talk to talk about it with them to understand like what was going on and make sense of it. And this just broadened my full understanding of what was going on around the world. So go back to your question about um, what's the one thing I've learned? It's that, again, people love to be connecting with other people on, on what to come storytelling. And one thing that I really love is I've got, I've got such a huge array of um, respect and understanding of people from so many different parts of the world. I've now had exposure to the American culture, the Asian culture. I grew up in the African culture. And we're all three different in their, in their own unique ways, but they're all quite similar as well and how they love to be connecting with each other. It's so fascinating, like all different, but love to be connecting with each other. And because you were so rooted in that early on, it is so interconnected into your being, into your soul. And you can feel it just in the way that you've created your brand, which we'll talk about, but even just how you approach it. I mean, I I think that's so, your dad is like a genius. I'm like writing that down. I'm like, oh my gosh, Tierra, let's read three newspapers and then tell me what you learned because it makes a difference. And I think that as children, we're able to receive so much information. We're processing it. And I don't think that we give enough credit to how much children absorb. And we talk about coming out of childhood and, and what impacted you. 
that I think it's just, it's really fascinating. That's why children can learn languages so fast because their brains are just this sponge. And I'm also like with the things that are happening in the world, this notion of of love, right? And that people are people. And how do we bring love to the center of what we're doing? And I think about your episode on Shark Tank and, (laughs) you know, there was a lot leading up to it, but just your grace and composure. And so as you think about this transition, so you're in in Australia, you're doing marketing. I too am a PR trained person in marketing. So So what was that transition like? You're now in Australia, you're now going into marketing. What was your setup there? Did you have any friends? Did you have to build friends? Like how was that? And how long until you said, I want to do something more? This is a great question. So the transition to Australia had definitely did have quite a few bumps along the road, but it wasn't like I had just, you know, got this opportunity and just immediately showed up into the country. Prior to moving here, I was coming here for about every for over two years from China, um, just due because of the fact that I was working at a hotel group at the time who was ex- ex- expanding into the Australian market. So coming here for almost like once a month, every month for nearly two years, got me exposed to the lay of the land, got to understand the culture, and got to start making some friends as well along the way. So then when an opportunity came with a new hotel company to be relocated here, it was just like, okay this is another opportunity. I really should jump on this because people are making the effort to put me in this great position. So I would be a fool to not take this and see what can make of it. And everything was saying to me, take the the leap of faith and see how you go along with it. So when I moved over here, I started to learn about marketing disciplines and the branding side of things and really started to appreciate how all of that training I had in PR communications actually became extremely valuable because I'm not sure if you remember, this is going back to around the years of 2016, 2017. I could see the shift in the market where marketing and communications were starting to blend more. No longer were there siloed where the marketing people had all the big fancy budgets and they could do all these amazing things, whereas the PR team was always relegated to, you know, lemonade budgets of doing amazing but almost nothing. But what was interesting was marketing budgets were starting to be slashed, especially in hotels. And I could see that there was a huge interest in, in, in need for creativity. So having that discipline of creating something with nothing and still amplifying it with marketing became a huge valuable tool. So that was what um, kind of, that was the, one of the first steps when I moved in here and getting to learn that. So doing marketing communications and then um, the journey into starting Woolly actually began in 2020. So what had happened was COVID, of course, as we all know, it disrupted the world. I was one of those like, those millennials who thought I was going to, you know, take the time that I had from being, being off in COVID to do something amazing. But it was a number of things that had actually led up to that. Let me actually, let me take a step back. 2019, I made an effort to actually invest in myself. What happened was I was doing a little, um, consulting business for a friend of mine who owned a gifting company here in Australia. And I was sourcing some goods for, for him from China based off of my old contacts over there. I got paid a nice um, commission money from him. And it was like this nice lump sum of cash. And I thought, right, there's a few things I can do with this. I can either pay off all of my debts. 
I could do what my parents and everybody's telling me to like save up more and buy a property, or I can actually invest this into creating a business that I had been dreaming of doing for the longest time. Now, at that time, I had no idea what kind of business it was that I was going to create. I just knew that I really wanted to create something that was of my own that I contributed something of value to the world. So before I could do that, I knew I needed to work on myself, Kendra. I needed to do the work on understanding what were the roadblocks that were preventing me from being able to do that. So what did I do? I first hired a business coach, a business and life coach. And we went through this journey for about six months of really identifying what were my roadblocks, what were my strengths, my weaknesses, and the challenges that I had. And it could all be boiled down to the fact that I realized what was stopping me from taking that leap into doing something was I had always held this belief that to be successful, I had to do everything on my own. I had to be the one to initiate. I had to be the one to drive. I had to be the one to know everything that was involved in creating something from nothing. Mm -hmm. And it comes from a lot of insecurities, a lot of fears that I had since growing up about not fitting in or not being able to relate to people because I, you could never really pick me into one box. I was that kind of kid who grew up in African culture, but grew up in an American culture and had a, a worldly view of things. And so I never really quite fit into any specific place. And when I realized that this was the biggest roadblock and that the biggest way to get across, to get over that was to say to myself, I have my strengths in my key areas of focus and I need to be confident enough to reach out to the people around me who were far larger than I could have even imagined for myself and leverage their expertise and leverage their abilities to be able to be a better person and be a successful business person, that was when that mental shift happened. And then 2020 happened, COVID went, went, went on. I was working for this another new hotel group at the time, and it was an amazing job prior to COVID. And then when COVID hit, the hotel shut down. I was laid off. I was furloughed, effectively, for four months of the year. And I looked around, and I was just thinking, well, I've got all this extra time in my hands, and I now have the training understanding of what it is I need to do what can I do? And something happened. It was, um, you know, when I was, I was going to my barber and he had introduced me to this um, product, which your, 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 your audience might know about. It. It's called Brill Cream. It's been around for like almost yes. a year. But we know <laughs> back in the 50s, our parents used to use it for that slick back look or just to make their hair extra shiny. And I was starting to use that. It was one of the first times I had ever found a hair care product that actually worked for my coily hair. And, you know, this is coming from a kid who grew up in an African household where my mom, um, God bless her, has um, had a hair salon going on as a kid. So I spent a lot of time around hair care products. And especially that big pinky bottle, which is effectively yeah. what real cream is similar to, I grew up with that in the cupboard. That's what my mom used on her hair, my sister's hair, and all of our auntie's hairs when she was doing braidings and styling. And I just realized that for the, for the first time, this was a product that actually did work for me. I never really paid too much attention to it before. But what I started realizing was by applying that and just taking that few extra minutes to look after my hair, I was actually starting to become a lot more aware as well of how I looked after myself, how I presented myself to the world, how I felt about myself. And I just started realizing, holy cow, this little product, the meaning behind it was so much more than I could have actually thought. So then that just what led me down this big rabbit hole of, well, if this product is doing so good for me, well, what could I do? Is, this, is there an opportunity here to make it better? So then I started going on this whole understanding of figuring out, well, what are the ingredients in this formula? Why is it full of synthetic and artificial ingredients? 
Why does it smell funky? Oh, it's got some great little added additives like vitamin E and um, and argan oil, but could it be better? And this is what led me onto that journey of realizing, you know what? Maybe there is an opportunity here. At the time, I was thinking first of just the Australian market because as most entrepreneurs, especially in beauty are, you, you, you create things based off of a need that you can't find in the market. So I couldn't find something that really was ideal from the local market. And this product that I had was being imported from overseas. So then I just started that journey and continued on with some there. So uh, I, I love how you are creating these different themes that are true and really inherent to how you've been able to kind of grow your career and also transition your career. And I'm a big fan. I've, I have my executive coach. I think that part of our success is really tied into how we cultivate our own brain trust. And I always believe, I always say, we're not meant to try and do things on our own. And it gets tricky because as entrepreneurs, as founders, as visionaries, as creatives, we're like, this is coming from me. This is my vision. I have no one's going to be able to do it as good as I can do it. And inherently, there's something that is a blocker that it's sometimes hard for us to work through. And there's a lot of self-awareness and confidence to basically say, let me get an executive coach. Let me get a business coach. Let me spend the time going through these roadblocks because a lot of times we want to just keep jumping and jumping to mask it, right? And so when you talk about making it better in terms of this product that you saw and creating your own, this whole theme from 2019 to 2022 and what you were doing was making yourself better so that you could make something else better. And so I love how you connect that the intersection of it and even just like the strength and the focus and the time. You know, we, we everyone did something different with their time in 2020 yes. and figuring out like this is going to be the start. And you're right. I mean, the practical thing let me pay off my bills. Let me, let me, I'm only furloughed for four months. Let me wait. But you had such a big vision. And even when you think about the market, we're always trained as PR and marketers, like audience, market, market viability. What does yes. it look like? <laughs> and so even taking that step to create. So as you're starting to figure out there's a need, this doesn't exist. I want to do something better. I've now worked on myself. I'm ready to go. There's still this big leap from how you do that to the vision of Wooly Grooming. And then like some of your most beloved sea salt spray products and your packages. So jump off the cliff and tell <laughs> us what that was. <laughs> wow. To I first want to summarize it by saying I feel extremely blessed with the people that I have within my orbit that have made Bully Grooming a reality because it really is a village, let me tell you. I mean, when people see my Instagram channel or they see you know, the, the promotional stuff that's going on, they might just think it really is this one-man band, which effectively it kind of is. I'm the only person still full-time in the business at this moment, but it has been an entire village to bring this brand into life. First, it started with um, a good girlfriend of mine, 
who is based in New York City. So when I had this idea for the product, I reached out to her because I, I knew she was a trained cosmetic chemist to, um, to say, oh, I'm thinking about creating something like this. Do you have any ideas? And she said, oh, I create a whole, an all-natural version of of, um, of Brill Cream all the time at home because I had shared with her that my view was that I wanted to create an all-natural, non-synthetic and, and official ingredient-based version of this product. And actually, before I start with that, let me take a little step back by saying what really triggered me going down the rabbit hole when I realized that there was an opportunity to make this better was that there were so many um, styling products out there in the market that were saying that they were curly hair specific. But then when you start reading into the ingredients label list, you realize this isn't really curl specific at all. In fact, the brands might say they have a curl type product, but it's actually a base formulation is the same as what they have for finer straight hair. And then that started me thinking, well, hang on, who are the people actually creating this product? And then you start realizing most of the people who create them don't have curly hair themselves. So then you, you, start, you, you start to see that they're making these styling products. It's almost like a bit of an afterthought for curly hair to frankly just capture that market when their real audience is the finer, dead straight hair folks of the world or people who are just trying to straighten their curly hair. So that was when I said me realized, you know what? No, there is an opportunity here. You can make something for the most sensitive of hair types first, because if you can create something for those people first of the world, you can create something for everybody else in the process. And so then that's what made me realize all natural ingredients was ideally the best way to go. So then that moves me into meeting this, I'm having this chat with this friend of mine. And so she said to me, oh, I make this all natural version of Coke, a Bill Cream all the time. Why don't we make it together on Zoom? And so we were doing these little testings in my kitchen on the Zoom, trying to create this formulation until I finally got to an ingredient, a recipe that I felt I was quite confident with, but I knew it wasn't enough. Because A, I wanted to make it commercially gradable, and I also really wanted to pack it in with a lot of amazing active ingredients. And that's what then, once I had that base, I went to, I looked out for what, how can I create this in, rea in um, commercial terms? And I found a contract manufacturer here in Australia who had a fantastic business model. Her business model was effectively that she um, was really focused on creating one-of-a-kind and unique style formulations of beauty products, mostly skincare and hair care. But unlike a lot of contract manufacturers who you would go to and they would say, look, we do private label or we do white labeling. And if you do white labeling, especially even, you're going to have to be looking at buying at least 5,000 units before you get started. Mm -hmm. Her business yes. model was there's no minimum order. You can just you just charge you one fee to make the formulation, and then we can create. Um, you know, once we get that right, you can order inventory as you need. I still work with her to this day, and we have an agreement in place that once I am ready to go, I can buy the formulation directly from her and expand it into a much larger operation at a very reduced price. And that was a fantastic guarantee to have in place. So she said to me, she was going to create this one-of-a-kind formula. She was really loving and passionate about my, my vision, but she said it was going to take time. So it took her about all up, I want to say, 10 months of tweaking, reworking, and getting something that we both were really confident with. And we just started with one product. We started with the curl cream. So while she was creating that formulation, I started to um, get my first feeds of like, trying to understand what was... how. how whether or not I had something that really was going to be good for markets. And then I started reaching out to barbers and salons. I just connected with people on Instagram and just said to them, I'm thinking about creating a version of a Brill Cream that's X. It's going to be designed for people with curly and wavy hair as first in mind, and it's going to be loaded with these active ingredients that are really addressing the issues of great styling for curly hair. Do you think there's an opportunity for this to exist in market? And I would say about a third of all the, like the um, 200 some salons and barbers that I reached out to came back and said, yeah, I think there's an opportunity here. 
that gave me the confidence to say, you know what, let's keep going further down this rabbit hole. I want to say one thing about that because we often get so caught up in our ideas. Like you had your idea, you, you figured it out that there's this hole in the market, but kudos to you for going into the community because that step often gets missed. And then when the step is made, Brands have gone too far. They've created all these things. They've got a way that they have to misstep, reformulate, or rebrand. And I think that that is really important, a, a lesson for many founders to make sure that they take that step. The other thing that I just want to applaud you on is having the conversation up front about the formulations. You have to negotiate that and understand the importance of that in the beginning so that you don't get to a blessed event realize that you don't own the formulations. And at that point, the negotiation is much different than what it could have been. And I think that those two lessons, especially with this being your first solely owned product, so smart in the strategic approach to setting up the pre-advance to get to the launch to then get to the post-advance of what that looks like. (laughs) So I had to, I was like, I need to give you some flowers here for that genius move as I'm sitting here holding my curl cream. So keep telling the story. This is genius. Just to also kind of reconfirm what you just said, I think reasons why I I, I behaved and, and action that way is because I'm a natural boy. I'm a natural Boy Scout. As a kid growing up, I was a Boy Scout, and so you learn about preparedness and organization and planning, and even more so when you start getting into marketing and communications. Planning is everything. So as I was building this business, I wasn't thinking about creating something that was going to be going into market in three or four months' time. I was thinking about all the things that are going to be necessary to sustain this and make this into a longer-term viable business, which is something I'll get back to a little bit later on. But so while I was doing all this validation with the salons, and, and once I got that confidence and she was building the formulation, the branding came into play when my expertise came in. But I knew I was not going to create this brand all on my own. Again, I knew my discipline. I knew what I was weak at. So then I started finding out, well, where can I get a brand expert? And can I tell you, Kendra, I found my branding guy on TikTok. So so the story goes, one day I was on TikTok, I was scrolling through and I've had this video come onto my feed of this young guy who was doing a um, video of this branding work that he did for a hair salon. um, And also that, uh, that salon also carried its own shampoo conditioner brand in New York City. But the guy who was like 28 at the time was based in Perth, Australia, on the Ah. far end of the country. And it was just impressive to me. And I was like, oh, I think he's he's got a really good approach to it. So I reached out to him, shared my vision, and he was really quite impressed with it. And I said, you know, I really would love you to be my creative director. I've got this vision for this brand, all natural styling products with the cold cream as our main hero product. Do you think there's something you can make of it? He's like, yeah, let's do it. And we originally were going to create this brand specifically for just the male audience. But later on down the track, we realized the gender neutrality was just um, too um, effective and was the smartest way to go with the brand. And so we then, um, together, hired a junior designer who was based in Mozambique to help with the execution of the brand because to keep the cost and the button, the cost effectiveness of the whole thing um, in point. So the three of us went together on building this brand journey. Now, before I got down that rabbit hole, there was another part of the equation that became extremely instrumental. So there was this um, one day... As I was in the early stage of the brand, I reached out to a guy friend of mine who was still in New York City and said I was going to start this. And he said to me, oh, you need to reach out to this girlfriend of mine named Tommy. 
Thomasina, who is based in Sydney, but is from New York. She was this Afro-Latino um, woman who actually owned a curly hair salon here and had a background from working as a director in some of the big beauty brands back in America. And I remember thinking this was one of the best accidents I ever made. Because at that stage, I was so hesitant about telling too many people that I had this idea for a business because I'd done that before in the past when I had business ideas and they never went anywhere. But this was one time where I was so grateful I opened my mouth because it led me down to meeting her. We had a chat. I shared with her my vision. She was such a huge um, advocate and cheerleader for me. And she still is to this day that she became my mentor and my advisor. So anytime I had thoughts, doubts, concerns, I reached out to her and she volunteered her time. For the nine months I was with my creative director and my designer into, into flushing out what my vision was to bring this brand to market. She dedicated her time. We do these three hour sessions once a week on Zoom, trying to figure out what this brand was. And in the end of it, we hear this incredible document that highlights everything that encompasses the brand. What is our brand vision? What is our story? Who are we talking to? What is our point of difference? We came with the logo, the brand name, the packaging, all of this, all these sessions. Because I felt at the end of this, when I was going to market, I wanted to have a product that was going to be proud to be staying in a department store. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit emotional now because I'm starting to mm -hmm. think about the fact that I wanted to be able to say, you know, this is a Malian inspired brand that can proudly sit amongst all the other big guys in the store and not skip a beat. I wanted to do my culture proud. I wanted to do people who helped support me around proud. And I wanted to do this as best as I possibly could. And that's what we created. So the brand Wooly came out of this exercise of identifying what the brand was. And I'll tell you something funny right now. I didn't even actually come up with the name myself. It was this kid from Perth who helped me come up with it. I originally wanted to call my brand some silly word called Quaft. And he said, Quaft, what the hell does that even mean? And he was like, with a K. He's like, Amadou, you come from Mali. Yes. You have talked about this brand being about awakening the best version of yourself every day. I was like, yes, I have. Well, in Mali, you have a word that means to wake up, get up, and grow up. And it's called Wooly. And as soon as he said that, I was like, oh my God, he's right. That's what I say every time when I'm at home with my mom. I'm saying I'm getting up in bed. Oh, I'm going to go do this. Oh, I'm growing into this field or whatever. That's, a, that's an adjective that we use. And he's like, well, that's, that should be the name of it, Wooly. And as soon as I realized, I was like, that is it. And it all just clicked. So you have that design. You have that manufacturing of the chemistry. You also have the fact that because of my time in China, I knew manufacturers and packaging who can help yeah. me create something premium and not gouge me. Because I've heard all the stories of entrepreneurs who go out to places and they try to get great packaging and they have they have um, companies say, you need to buy like 10,000 units of invent of packaging before we touch you. I had people who I could reach out to who said, I'll do it for you for 500 units. And you can just get started and see how you go with that. So that all came together to you know, to really make the brand a reality. There was, of course, the testing and the go-to-market, which we can talk about next, but that was how the vision started forming into reality. And when I had that that box, and yeah, I don't know the incentive to you, but I'll show you here. I had this yeah. box in front of me. When I physically got it, I actually broke down because I started thinking, I this came from nothing. This came from an idea, and here we are with a fully formed product right here in front of you. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It is the greatest honor as visionaries, creatives, as founders, to be able to have a vision and to be able to have the collective group of people working with us and seeing the vision and proving the vision and then all of the different pieces that come. And it's interesting because we think about these magical accidents that were really meant to be and with Thomasina and all these people. And even as you're talking and you look at the package, you can see every person who had a hand in it that was marching to this vision that you created. And I think that that's, it's such a beautiful thing. And it's something that like, I don't take for granted. And when I get too far, I have to like stop and thank my team because it's like, this is only made possible by all of us coming together and kind of being lockstep and being open to talk about, you know, if your friend hadn't have felt comfortable to say, what are you, what name is that? What does that mean? Like, (laughs) you know, it would have lost so much of the meaning, but because you were vocal and because you were intentional and saying, I want this this brand to be the representative of me and my culture and to sit alongside other brands and then coming to Wooly. It is, it's a really beautiful thing. And I think even when you think about that, because of your origin of the brand and being open to having others, and then you go into this moment of, of launch. And that is where we start to figure out, whoa, like this is reality. Like now I got to sell this. I got to market it. I got to keep selling it. I got to pay for things so that I can get more of this. And what was that kind of in-between step that then led you into your, what was your first source of capital? You know, this, this commission that you got, how did you expand that? And then what led you into Shark Tank and this deal that you did that we want to hear about? Yeah. So with the, um, the capital and everything. I mean, the brand has been bootstrapped to this day. It has not taken anything but my own personal savings and a personal loan that I take. I've taken from the bank and some credit cards to get it to the point that it is um, at this stage. But also, before I go into the go-to-market, something to preface that I felt was really important, and this is something for all entrepreneurs out there, big big and small, that I learned in my journey was the celebration of small wins. When I was at the early stage of building this business, you know, like most entrepreneurs, you get rosy eyed with their brand ideas. I had the goal of creating something great, make, getting it out to market in six months time and making, you know, start making a success of it until I realized that if you want to make great brands, you need to take your time to make it happen. There's a lot of brands out there, especially in beauty, who will come in, who will come in one day and be huge razzle-dazzle, and then they're gone in less than a year's time because they haven't done the homework of making sure that they have successfully set their businesses up for success. So what that meant for me was is um, every time we had a little small action, whether it was we, we designed the logo, we designed the packaging, designed the brand name, or we created a first iteration of the formula. These were things that I was celebrating because I realized if I didn't take the time to appreciate this, I will never appreciate the wide, the bigger picture when that bigger success story does come one day. So then going into the market, 
it was around 2021 in, I want to say, August, September, October, when I was starting to, when we finally got something that was viable, we finally got our packaging right, we got our formulations, and I was starting to think about going into market. And I was starting to think like the um, my millennial peers who've done e-commerce businesses and thinking that I was going to create this beautiful website, which I did, and then I was going to launch it, and everybody was going to be clamoring on the door to be pre-ordering when it happened. Then I took a step back in my marketing brain and started thinking, that's not realistic. I haven't put, there's no funding to, you know, drive um, pre-orders into the website with adver- online advertising. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not an influencer. Where are these people coming from? And I also had some testing to do in the market because I knew I had a great product, but I did not really fully understand where it fit in market and what was di- how it differentiated itself in market, how to speak to it. And that was when the idea for markets came about. And I'm talking the hard slog, weekend markets with fold-out tables and selling <laughs> And it's something that I feel a lot of entrepreneurs, especially if you're in the bootstrap phase, either don't either, maybe they don't have the opportunity for it from wherever they are located, or they just disregard it. But I found it to be such a huge, huge, huge avenue of growth. I will never forget it. It was the 5th of December, 2021. I had my very first market. It was Christmas. I had spent two months obsessing over every detail of trying to get this set up. I remember like going out there, like looking at it and the organizers were like, oh, you're new. Don't worry about it. Just get a small table, bring your products and you'll be fine. I was like, that's not going to work for me. I need to have something that's a good setup. I want to make current experience. I want to be able to show people all these different products in these different ways. I need something of sustenance. And then I created this setup and we had the most incredible turnout. I, if I remember that first day of sales on the ground, I made about 3000 Australian dollars in sales and just one, a seven hour shift of just selling myself out there without ever really proving it before in market. And these were the things that led us that created the bedrock to give me the confidence to keep going with the brand. So all through 2022, um, hustled all the way through with markets, all the small markets you can think of, especially here in Australia, I was doing them rain or shine out there with my gazebo, fold-out table, and just selling my heart and soul out to people. And, you know, there were days where we didn't make really any sales. There were days where we made some really great sales. But at the end of the day, it was about understanding how we fit in market, getting that um, validation, and obviously generating revenue to keep this business going. And then in 2023, so last year, um, we started graduating into the more premium markets. We started doing like, you know, the ones that were like one to be three or four months would cost a couple thousand dollars, but you were also making a couple thousand dollars more um, on top of that. You're making two or three times your cost of the, of the market back in return. And those were a much bigger opportunity to really grow the, grow the business. And then I started realizing the markets aren't just for the revenue side and, valid- and, and, and so forth, but they're fantastic for validating the brand and market, being able to understand and hone in on my pitch, being able to actually hear and listen like, to my customers on what their pain points are and what is it that they look for when they're buying hair care products, and then getting the confidence eventually to start styling people's hair. So when you come and see me at the market, I'm not just selling you something. I can instantly assess your hair in a minute or two, what your condition is. And I can say to you confidently, my products are designed to address the issues of hydration and moisture. How you use them as a recipe depends on the texture and the fineness and the coarseness of your hair. So then what I'll do is I'll be, my, my, my spiel is come and sit down for my chair and have a little zhuzh. Sit down, 
and I get the diffuser out, I get the cold cream out, I get the sea salt spray out, and I'm going to town on styling the people's hair left, right, and center, and showing it to them right there and then, this is what my products are going to do for you, and this is how you apply it properly. Because ultimately for me, it's all about the hard sell. It's a soft sell. I'm sharing with you the story. My goal is, I I know I've succeeded. If you walk away from my booth or you buy my product and you are confident in that you know how to use the product and and how much of it to use. And if you've got that, my job is done. So the market's a fantastic place for that. Now going into Shark Tank, in um, March of last year, they had the announcements in Australia. They were bringing the show back after five years of hiatus. And I just applied. And I remember um, the producers contacted me back and they're like, oh, this is an amazing profile. Um, you know, can we short track? We want to short track you. And then I was um, waiting and waiting by about two months from when I made the initial application to when I finally got the call back to be on the show. And then went in for the filming. It's the filming all happened in May of 2023. And, you know, being on that stage was nerve-wracking. You don't probably see it when you see me video I'm on the camera, but it was nerve-wracking. But you know what helped me stay grounded, Kendra? It was the markets. Because I, rem- I, because I remember talking to a friend of mine who helped me in my business just before going on air. And he said to me, just have fun. Pretend like you're still, you're selling, you're, still, you're at the markets and you're selling to the people at the markets, but at a higher elevated pitch. And he was right. I knew my numbers. And I knew what yeah. made this brand what it is. And so I just so I just sold to them like but like I was selling to the markets. And you know, it was a fantastic opportunity to be on that show. Extremely grateful for getting to meet those entrepreneurs. And um, but ultimately as well, what I realized is I needed somebody who had a really solid understanding of the business of beauty. Yes. Because it's as you know, it's a beast of its own. It's not fashion. It's not, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, it's a bit of consumer packaged goods, products, or food and beverage. Yes. It is its own unique it's entity. Own beast. And if you don't understand it, then it's going to be a really hard sell, especially for me, to be feeling confident that you're going to be able to take this brand into the scale that it really deserves to be. So. What happened was I had this amazing um, offer opportunity coming from this gentleman named Sabri who owned a marketing agency here. And, you know, it all seemed great. But ultimately what happened, Kendra, was after the show, we, got a, we started going into the details and I started realizing all he was going to be able to contribute was advertising and marketing. Not to say that wasn't important, but that wasn't something that I really, truly needed. I needed somebody who was going to be able to come in and look at the business holistically and really be able to help me drive it into a much bigger operation. So when all he was able to offer was the marketing, I felt deep down it wasn't the right fit for the business. It wasn't, I wasn't doing this business justice by taking this deal. And that's every time I have, um, every time I had an opportunity that was to, to, to build this business or to partner with somebody or do something, I used to, you know, originally take it personally because this is my baby, right? I take it quite personally and thinking, is this the right thing? And, oh, I should really try to, like, you know, appease this person or, you know, just try to please them. But, no, I don't do that. I look at it from the fact of what does the business deserve and is this the right thing for this business? And that wasn't the right thing. So I walked away from the deal. And wow. I was proud of myself for that. I was nervous about it because I was thinking also, is my episode even going to air? But I'm so proud I did. And also because um, the producers kept saying to me, we loved your pitch. We think you did a phenomenal pitch. Don't you worry. You are going to be on the show. Um, we just didn't know when. So that was really quite um, humbling. 
And then um, when we actually, when the show actually aired, this is something a lot of people don't know, at least in Australia, you don't know when your show is ever actually going to air. So we filmed it in May and there was rumors that it was supposed to air around October, November. And I, I basically held on to that room because I needed to plan. I needed to buy more packaging from China. Yes. That was a three-month turnaround time. My chemist was easy. She was able to make formulas in two to three weeks' time. And so by the time the show finished filming, I immediately bought new packaging. That came in in the end of August. I got new formulations made. I received them by the second week of September. The third week of September, I got the phone call oh, congratulations, your episode is airing next week. And then it was like, okay. And then had to make sure everything was going well. But you know what? The biggest battle was done. And basically, um, the show aired. I still never forget it. I had a viewing party here with my friends. I was actually, it was just super tearing and really just shocking to see myself on television. Just to kind of see, like, we made it from this idea into being something that was on national television. And, yeah, the rest is history. Made about 500 orders off of the shows back within the first three weeks of the show being on air and have just been riding that wave ever since through. You know, it, it goes back to what you said, planning is everything. And how you approach it and the confidence to walk away. You know, it's so funny because I, as you were talking about the markets, you know, you didn't know that doing the markets was going to give you this other training outside of the education of PR and culture and traveling that was going to be that little voice in your head as you got ready for Shark Tank to say, like, just have fun, like you're doing it. And you exuded so much confidence in watching the episode. And I was like on the edge of my seat, like, <laughs> what's going to happen? And and it was it was just so real to who you are. And I really think about the fact that to have that moment and to then immediately say, now let's get to work. Because a lot of people would have been waiting or I don't know, like, but you, you've stuck to your planning from the beginning. And the fact that you had the orders, you had formulated and you were ready to go. And it didn't necessarily matter as much of the outcome on the other side, as much as being able to leverage that moment and being prepared to do what you needed to do and to be successful. And I do think it's interesting because as, as I was listening to the offer um, at the end and you're great negotiating, it wasn't just like, yes, it was like, let me take a second with myself and then come back. But I thought it was really interesting because I was trying to figure out when I saw the name of the firm and what was on the table with the 150, with the 40%, with the two, you know, the $2, it, it, it kind of became, I hope that this is what you need it to be. And when we can take a second and not get so caught up in the jazz hands, but you are like, okay, what am I trained in? What do I need? And what's the alternative of that that's going to really move this business forward? And so I really applaud you. And it and it's humbling. And to be able to talk about it and still say, but I'm still standing. I didn't do this because there's something greater for me. It is 100% right. You know, there was another opportunity that came about after the show's filming um, to partner with a company that was a distribution business here in Australia that really then opened my eyes into 
why it's so vital, A, to hold on to that equity until it is the right business partner, and B, not just take on anybody into this business after all the work that's been done. Um, it was this opportunity with this distributor who basically wanted to um, basically come in and help to grow the business. All they promised me was that they were going to help get me into retail. They were going to help me with warehousing and picking packing and all this other stuff. But then as I was speaking to them, I started realizing that they were, um, they didn't really quite understand the curly hair care market. They understood men's grooming. They understood, you know, barbering and all these other things that go along with that, but they didn't understand curly hair care. And yet here they were talking about how they were going to blow this up and they were going to make this a big thing, but at the same breath saying, they didn't really quite understand who it was that I was catering to. And it just made me take a step back to realize I should not be getting in bed with people who don't understand the community that I'm speaking with. Because curly hair care is a strong enough of a niche on its own to stand on. And it is a niche that has its own unique issues in hair care that I truly feel a lot of people in the industry just don't quite understand, at least here in Australia. And I feel that if you, if I was going to, I walked away from that deal as well into realizing if I'm ever going to go into this deal, a, a business with anybody, they need to understand the community that I'm talking to. They need to understand what it is and the pain points that they face and how we address them. And it also is an interesting thing, Kendra. It also talks about the different, the, um, the values of retail distribution and um, direct to consumer, where I'm at with this business. Overall, long term, I would love to take um, Wooly into larger scale retail. At the moment, the, the, the retail side of it is that it's, it's sold and distributed about eight to nine different salons across Australia and a few boutique stores. But the majority of our revenue is coming from direct to consumer. And I let me tell you, in 2023, I put so much of my energy into understanding the language of retail, understanding the channels of where they could go with this and trying to make it successful there. And I hit a lot of roadblocks here. It was either because a lot of the salons <clears throat> didn't want to know me because I didn't have a full scope range for them or they didn't want, they weren't catering to curly hair so much or the retailers took too much time to make a decision or they wanted far too much margin without much return in, in, in off of that. And mm-hmm. I sort of realized, why am I chasing that audience so much? My customers, when they meet me at the um, markets, when they see the product and they feel it and they smell it, they get it. I need to keep talking to my consumers and building that relationship up. And so then I realized I'm going to keep that as my focus. I'm not going to take on anybody who doesn't understand that language of curly hair care and that community that I'm talking to, which I'm still to this day, hopefully looking out for. If I can find that, then fantastic. Because as I've also learned in building this brand for my village, it's not going to be about just me. It's not, I I don't want this to just be me driving this into the success that it is. I do want to find idealistic partners who can help take it to that Well, and I think that that's the part. We get so caught up in you need to be in this or that or what are other people doing? And it's a little bit glamorizing because then we think that we're left out. But you have been about even from the beginning and talking to the barbers and do we need this and do do we need that? And, you know, D2C, as we've seen, needs to be a strong channel for us. Like that's where we get our knowledge, our insights. We have our data. And I think that there's a time and a place for retail expansion. There always is, and especially being an international brand. 
but it is, it's the truth of who we are and what we need. And you said it before in terms of like patience and really understanding that this is a long game. This isn't a gimmick. I don't need something right now to just jump in the market. Like I need a sustainable brand that's going to serve not just the now, but in the future. And especially as you know, because you are a citizen of the world, as you say, like curls and the understanding and the acceptance is different kind of around the world. Like they're still the root of the problem in terms of not having the right products and education, but then the nuance of that is challenged. And so you have so much opportunity and room and ground to really cover. And I want to know what's next, because one of the things that I learned on your episode is just how great your margins are for these bundles. I was writing that down. Like, I can't wait to have this conversation, but (laughs) talk about what is, what is next for the products, for the evolution, for the brand. The next for the products is really to take it international channels and to continue growing the business development so um during christmas break everybody else is on holiday enjoying themselves i took about a good maybe two and a half days to just turn everything off and relax but then i was back at it in my home office and build out my entire forecast and business plan and sales and marketing plan for 2024 um i've got some really big ambitious goals in terms of revenues to hit this year and the way that I feel that I was going to be able to reach that is through direct-to-consumer. So one thing, and I mentioned it in the in the, um, in the Shark Tank episode that I hadn't really taken advantage of before was online advertising, Facebook advertising, for example. And, you know, they kept saying to me, how come you haven't done that? I was like, well, hang on a minute. I'm a bootstrap brand, and I don't have the funds to be throwing hundreds of dollars every day on advertising on Facebook just for the sake of it. Well, I'm not really quite sure what I'm doing just yet. I needed to take my time. So instead of investing that money in ads, I invested that money, and this is coming from the PR training, in all the things that help build a reputable, socially proofed brand. So the SEO, the blog content, the influencer engagement, social media, this is where that marketing budget that I had went into. And once I had that foundation, I now realized that was vital for making um, Facebook advertising even more successful. So getting to really like um, getting a real strong understanding of it and doing it all in-house, by the way, I tried the agency route. I'm not doing that because I felt nobody is really going to really understand the brand as great as I can and the contractors that I work with. So we're going to be doing a lot more um, online advertising to really boost up the sales and get to a nice, healthier and stable um, revenue generate, generation month by month. And then also take the brand overseas. I want to take the first step into America. And also something that this is also plays into something you just mentioned about my understanding of the world and curly hair care. I don't just look at it from an Afrocentric curly hair ish, um, you know, challenge. I do look at it from that global perspective. Curly hair is the dominant hair texture around the world, whether people want to believe it or not. Europeans, South American, Middle Eastern, African, Asian even, and Americans, we all have it in some form or shape. It's just the fact that either products are not marketed accordingly to that, or they don't have all the right ingredients that cater to people. And I'm not saying I have something for everybody, but I do have something that if you've got a bit of texture in your hair, there is something in my tight range that will help and work for you. So because I look at it from a more broader perspective, I have that opportunity to then really communicate it to a global audience. So the first step is going to be taking it to the U.S., 
And that was part of going into the Beauty Matter event last October. It was such a huge eye-opener to me of what I've missed or what I haven't seen from not being on the ground for the last 13 years in the U.S., the opportunity that exists there, the people who are able to make um, help bring my, my, my brands and, and um, dreams into reality, the fact that in America, everybody is out to help you if you are the one to put your best foot forward into taking something out there and, and making and putting your passion into it. Mm-hmm. So that's where I want to take it. And then eventually take it into a much bigger global um, um, distribution. And then hopefully, you know, one day being able to sell it and take the proceeds of that to A, get back to my family, get back to my community and really help to inspire other people who may come from backgrounds like myself who would have never imagined of coming from humble working class first generation in well, backgrounds to being able to create something like this and taking it into an international platform. I mean, we're manifesting, we're saying it. I was like, you did more than than just conceptualize 2024. You were like, and here is the end, and I'm done, and I've done my give back. And I think that that vision has to be there so that as we go off track or we think that you know, we're not doing enough. We think to that larger vision and we know that to get there, it's going to take a lot. And if we can see the the end of the tunnel, then everything that we do along the way will really encourage that. And even the decisions to be a beauty matter, to say, I'm going to intentionally be in these other markets. And so I'm, I'm rooting for you. Our community is rooting for you. We're excited to have you be part of Branches Founder Studio and to just share your journey. And, and I think that it's so important and the courage that you have. And so um, on that notion of giving back and community, we always like to ask our guests if there's another brand that we should look at, that we should support. We will, of course, all be supporting Wooly Grooming, but is there someone else you'd like to highlight? Oh, wow. That's a really, really great question. I think, honestly, everybody who was also a grant recipient at the Beauty Matter Next Summit. Um, I can't name everybody's name, all the brands off the top of my head, but Mudo is a fantastic brand. Of Other Worlds was a phenomenal brand. Axiology is another fantastic brand that was part of it. All of these brands who, you know, these these um, men and women have made the effort, just like myself, to really put their best foots forward out there and create these phenomenal products in fragrance, in skincare, in cosmetics. And I think all of them deserve a huge amount of applause. I think they're all, you know, as, as you know, getting into beauty is not for the faint of heart. It's something that I've learned in the last two and a half years of being in business. It's like anybody can come with a, with a, with a lovely product idea or a great formulation. Turning that into a viable business is a massive undertaking. And it's, yeah. and it's something that will drive you insane at several, t- at several times along <laughs> the game. But if you, keep, if you keep your feet grounded, if you celebrate the small wins, if you really reach out for the help and, re- and support from everywhere you possibly can, I truly believe you can make it possible. So all of those brands, if you don't know them, go on Beauty Matters website and you can find them. I fully encourage you to support them all. Ah, oh, I love that. I love that. And and Beauty Matter is so near and dear um, to me as well. And it's such 
an important part of our beauty industry and community. So we will include all of the grant recipients as we talk about this um, and highlight the different brands with you being the champion of the grant recipients. And I am just, um, I'm so excited. When I met you, I was like, you have to be on the show. So thank you um, for participating. I can't wait to have more offline conversations with you. Um, I love my sea salt spray for my daughter's hair in the curl cream. And it's just beautiful. So congratulations. And I can't wait to catch back up with all of the success that you'll have in 2024. Thank you, Kendra. It's such an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for this opportunity to tell my story. At the end of the day, all I can hope for is I hope I've inspired some other people to really take that leap and also be mindful that, you know, anybody can do this if you really want to make it happen. But remember, at the end of the day, you cannot do this on your own. You need people to support you to make it possible. I love that. All righty. Thank you. Thank you. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And thanks to Amadou, make sure to follow Axology Beauty. Founded by Erica Rodriguez, Axology is makeup for planet people, 100% plastic-free and always vegan. That's Axology underscore beauty. Make sure to follow them. And as always, I like to leave you with one thing from today's guest, and that is what's the leap that you will take to inspire your dreams and help you create the vision and the future that you always dreamed of? Amadou shared how he continued to look at planning, look at inspiration, and look at what was missing in the market to create a product that he always dreamed of. So I encourage you to figure out how you can take that leap and do the same. And as always, follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, And on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.